Well, today we're continuing our series where we're considering what it means to be satisfied. So we can turn to all kinds of things. We can turn to recognition. We can turn to trying to have a better body. We can turn to joy in other people or comfort or sex or food or any number of different things that we can feast our souls on that this world has to offer. But what you'll find is at the end of all of that searching and just truly feasting on what this world has, you'll find yourself hungry. You'll find yourself still not satisfied, still wanting more. Which is why in John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is living water. He is the bread of life. And so Jesus is better, and he alone can satisfy. And so throughout this series, the last weeks, we've been thinking about what it means to have down to the core of your being. And there are several different words in the Bible that describe this, the real you deep down inside. Because as humans, we are this beautiful and mysterious and truly glorious physical and non-physical union. That's what we are. And so we have a a mind and a, a soul. And in the Bible, there's many different words. So one is the word soul that is used. It describes the inner core, who you are. The Bible also uses the word spirit to describe who you are deep inside. And so, for example, Mary sings in Luke 1, 46 and 47. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she uses the word soul and spirit interchangeably. And then, of course, you have another word, the word heart. The Bible talks about your heart very often. And so, of course, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's describing all of you, all that you are. And so whenever you think about your soul or your spirit or your heart, it's describing the real you. It's describing the deepest part of who you are that you can see on an MRI. But it's there, and it's real. It's where your memories live. It's where your deepest desires are. It's where your motives spring up from. It's where you relate to God. It is where you experience awe in God's presence. It's it's where bravery comes up from. It's where you find courage. It's where you find hope and faith. All of these are examples of of what happens in your heart, your spirit, your soul, the deepest part of your being. But it's also where you experience fear and anxiety and depression and anger and lack of faith. This all happens deep inside. And so we're considering in this series what it looks like as followers of Jesus, as 
Renewal Church, what it looks like to have all of you, mind and body and soul, holistically satisfied. Today we're going to consider, as we continue in this journey, how our soul, a part of who we are deep inside, is we have a will. And we're going to consider what it looks like to have a satisfied will in the presence of God. So the first thing that we need to see, so if you will, the first kind of key question that we want to ponder is, what is your will? So let's try to come to an understanding of what exactly it is. So your will describes your ability to make decisions. So as a human being made in God's image, you and I have a will where we can make choices. We are, if you will, moral Agents, if you want to use big philosophical language, it means that you and I are able, we have the capacity to understand what's right and what's wrong, to know morality, and to make choices. We have free will, if you want to use that way to understand what I'm talking about when we talk about will. Your will is expressing your desires that are deep inside of you. So there's a reason why. Those of us that maybe we think that we're young, I don't know what young is anymore. I, I just spent all day yesterday with my son. They were doing a marching contest, and I'm hanging around high schoolers for like 14 hours yesterday, uh, avoiding crickets and kamikaze, you know, bugs that are just flying at you all weekend. I mean, it was, it was a crazy thing. If, if we were at the game, then you know what I'm talking about, seeing these cheerleaders like, oh, they're all freaking out because there's like these crickets flying at them. And so when I hang around high schoolers, I feel quite old. When I hang around old people, like legit, I feel young. So it's like, it's so relative. And yet, as we get older, there's wisdom in, in getting a last will and testament. And so what is that? What is a will? Well, we should all have one if we're trying to be responsible managers of our, our estate. You're like, I don't have an estate, but... Theoretically, what a will is, it's a way for you to legally document your desires, your wishes. It's saying, this is my will for what should happen with my estate after I die. So that your will is upheld legally. That's what a will is. It expresses your wishes, what you want, what you choose Make sure that that happens when you're not here to vouch for yourself anymore. That's the last will and testament. Our will is the ability to make decisions, things that we will to happen, things that we wish for, things that we want, things that we hope for, things that you dream that you want to be in your future. Every one of us makes choices. We have that capacity as human beings is to make choices. But see, here's the thing. We're talking about free will. This is very important for us to understand this correctly and biblically. The choices that you make from your own free will can only be made from who you actually are. From what's in your heart. From your nature. From your character. You can't freely choose to do something that is outside of 
your character. So if you said, I will to jump off of a skyscraper and soar into the sky, well, you can will that all day long. But unless you have some kind of an apparatus to help you fly, you don't have the nature of a bird. You're, I'm sorry, you don't have wings, you don't have feathers, or hollow bones. Therefore, you can will it all you want, but you will plummet to your death. You can only will to do that which is consistent with your nature, with your character, with your heart before God, who you are. So we make free will choices based upon our heart's desires. And every one of us has desires deep inside, and it's from those desires that are inside that we will make free will choices. Do you know why you have a will? Because you image God. Because God has a will. God has heart's desires. God is doing everything that he does according to his will. He is bringing his desires His plan, his will, he's bringing it to fruition. So because God has a will that he is accomplishing, he has given you a will as his image bearer. Which is why God gave Adam the freedom to choose. He gave him a will. He said, don't eat of this tree. Do this for my glory. Obey my Word, enjoy my presence. These, these, this is what Adam was about, but he had to freely choose to exercise his will while being under the will of God, consistent with who God made him to be. It's important to understand what it means to have a will. Why Jesus said over and over and over, Come to me. Exercise your will and come. Come to living bread of life and living water. And so what is your will? Well, your will is the choices that you make that flow from your heart's desire. This is what your will is, and it's free within your nature, within what is in your heart. So we'll talk about this more, but let's move on. Next key question. So if that's what our will is, well, what about God's will? What is God's will? Now, this is actually a very large subject, but I'm going to keep it as simple and as as uncomplex as I can make it to be. So what is the will of God? Now, here's where it gets complex. We muddle the waters when we're not clear on what we're talking about. So in the Bible and in our language, we talk about the will of God, and we mean one of three things. And the Bible describes all three. And so we need to understand them very carefully, and they're They're distinct. And so first of all, in the Bible, what you see is God's sovereign will. So what is the will of God? Well, number one, the Bible describes God's sovereign 
Well, sovereign refers to being the king. He's the ruler. It means that he's in control. And so God's sovereign will, I'll give you a verse in Ephesians 1:11. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. So again, God's purpose, he says, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is working out every single detail in all of human history, including in your life. He is working all of it for his own good pleasure according to his will. God is working out. So all of human history, every single event has a purpose, and that includes in your life. There is a purpose in it, and God is working it to the fruition of his will. So when we talk about God's sovereign will, what it means is that he's in control of all things and that God's will cannot be slowed down. God's will can't be opposed. His will can't be stopped because he's God. And he's unstoppable. He is sovereign and all-powerful and all-wise and he's bringing his will to fruition. And so when we talk about God's sovereign will, we're talking about that which cannot be known or stopped. You can't divine the mind of God and understand how he's working all of human history to its appointed end. Daniel 4.35 describes this. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing as he does according to his will. So God is according to his will. It says, among the host of heaven, so in heaven, and among inhabitants of the earth. So in heaven and on earth, everything happens according to his will. It says, and none can stay his hand, so none can stop his hand, or say to him, what have you done? So we can't question God's will. It says everything in heaven and on earth is under God's control. And it says none can stop his hand and none can ask him, God, why have you done this? Read the end of the book of Job and see how far Job got when he was trying to question God's sovereign will. All God could say was, were you there, O peon? Job, were you there when I created the world? Oh, that's right, you weren't. You're not sovereign. You're not in control. Just sit there and worship me. That's why you exist. This is your purpose. You trust me. You worship me, and I'll fill you with joy. This is your purpose. You don't have to worry about all the cosmic things. I got that. You just trust me. I'm sovereign. So we talk about God's sovereign will, but we also talk about, secondly, God's moral will. This is another aspect of the will of God that is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. It says, for this is the will of God. Now, sometimes, again, God's will refers to his sovereign purposes and his, his overall plan. But in this verse, it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. It says, this is God's will. It says, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, 
that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so he says, what is the will of God for you? That you be sanctified, that you walk in holiness, that you would glorify God with your mind, with your body, with your thoughts, with your actions, that your whole life would be a reflection of the holy glory and character of God. That your desires, your words, your thoughts, your actions, all of it would be in line with the character of God, that it would be holy. And that same book, chapter 5, so 1 Thessalonians 5.18, says, give thanks in all circumstances. You hear that? Give thanks in all circumstances, even those unpleasant or undesired ones, those really hard ones. He says, yes, and those as well give thanks. He says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So God's will for your life is that you would give thanks, that you would have gratitude that you would trust his sovereign will and that you would obey his moral will and thus display his glory. And so God's will is sovereign, but it's also moral. But let's just be clear. We have the choice to disobey God's moral will. We can. Not everyone is grateful. Not everyone strives to walk in holiness. Oftentimes we don't, and so we do have the capacity as free will moral agents, we can disobey the moral will of God. But we talk about God's will a third way, also from the scriptures. This is called God's individual will for your life. Sometimes we call it God's will of direction. And so this is where we talk about, well, what is God's will for me in this situation? What is God's will with me? I had these two job offers. Or what is God's will with this choice that I have to make? And so we're talking about God's individual will or his will of direction. So what we have is within God's overarching sovereign will and his call to be holy, his moral will, there's this other reality of his individual will for our lives. So Romans 12 verse 2 Colton preached on this a few weeks ago. The Bible calls us, it says, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why? Finish the verse. So that by testing, you may discern the will of God. What is good and acceptable and and so we're called in Romans 12 too, to have a mind that is healthy and renewed and focused on Jesus and transformed by the Spirit of God so that we can have clarity on God's will for our lives. Now, this is referring to his moral will to know what is good, but this discerning also would be in this category of God's individual will, of his will of direction for your life. So in order to have that guidance from the Spirit, we have to walk in the Spirit, walk closely with God, which is why in Galatians 5.25, we're called to live by the Spirit, and it says keep in step with the Spirit. 
So we're told to be walking in step, side by side, is this imagery with the Spirit. That as we're walking, we're being led by God's Spirit. And there are so many examples of this, but I'll just give you a few out of the book of Acts. We'll just keep it there in this one book. So Acts 8, 29. You have Philip, the evangelist, and he does some incredibly cool things. Like he like disappears and goes to different places. God was just working Philip in a supernatural way. But in Acts 8, 29, the Spirit leads Philip and, and leads him and says, go over to this chariot where there was an Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip goes over to him, and then he comes to faith in Christ. So the Spirit led him to go to that chariot. And then if you go to Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, the Apostle Paul had been in modern-day Turkey, so in Asia Minor, as it was known then. And he was preaching the gospel, planting churches, and he had planned to stay in Asia. And then he has the Spirit just prompts him, and he has like this vision of, of a man in Macedonia who was in Europe, so in Greece. And so Paul then changes his plan. He doesn't stay in Asia, and he goes over to Europe and takes the gospel for the very first time to a new continent. And the gospel flourishes all over Europe from that point on. And then you also have in Acts 20, verses 22 through 23, the apostle Paul is with the, um, the elders of Ephesus, and it's a very gripping, very moving text. There's tears because Paul says that the Spirit is leading him to go to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was where the spiritual leaders were, and they hated Paul. And these elders are all in tears and saying, Paul, don't go. But Paul's like, no, the Spirit is prompting me, I know I need to go to Jerusalem. And so he goes, and it doesn't end well for him there. Like he gets arrested, and it's, he gets persecution. And yet, he still felt the Spirit leading him to go there into the face of the enemy and into hostile territory because the Spirit had an overarching plan and God's sovereign will was directing Paul for his individual will to go to these different places. So the Spirit prompts us, or he'll put a word on your mind. Let me give you an example. Like this is just kind of my story. But two and a half years ago, I was living in Abu Dhabi, and I loved it. I loved the ministry there in the Middle East and a church that was such a global context. And I felt fulfilled and fruitful, but my friend of many years, Pastor Andy Davis, um, the pastor of First Baptist Belton, who is our sending church, had asked me if I would consider leaving the Middle East to come to Belton to plant a church and to help lead First Baptist in being a multiplying church. And at first I told him, no, not interested, not interested, I, I want to stay here, and and for the next few months, I just kept praying, and there was this thought. I just, I couldn't shake it. God's Spirit kept impressing Central Texas on my mind repeatedly every day in my prayers. And, and then one day, I was, it was on the Friday morning. The church gathers on Friday, Middle East, not Sundays. I know it's so weird. Um, and so I was in the back row just praying. The band was, was rehearsing kind of like we do here. 
And I was just praying, God, what is your will? Like, I've been asked if I would consider going to Central Texas to plant a new church. And I, I don't know. Like, you keep putting this out of my mind. And I was sitting there. And, and I had this word, this phrase just impressed on me. And the words were, it's time. And as I kept pondering that, I, I just sensed, man, God is calling us. It's time. Like, our, our time in Abu Dhabi has, has come to a close. And that very next day, I was talking to Bonnie, and I told her, um, I've been praying, and I feel the Spirit just kind of leading, just impress on me these two words, and it's time. And her eyes got so big, and she was like, what did you just say? And I was like, well, what did I say? She was like, what? I was like, I said, it's time, and she starts crying. And another friend in the church had given her a word from the Lord and said, Bonnie, I don't know what this means, but... Um, it's time. But I didn't know. Like, that had been like a month earlier, and she had just journaled the words, it's time, and was just praying about this. And then she showed me her journal, said, Matthew, look, this is from last month. And it had the two words, it's time, on it. And we just, we knew. We knew it's time. Our, our time in the UAE has, has come to a close, and it's time to move to Central Texas and plant this new church, and then a few weeks later, he gave me the name Renewal, and, you know, five months in, we're here. And it has been such a joy to be a part of this young church. And, I mean, I, I believe that God has something very unique and very special with this church that has a passion to spread God's renewal to Bill County and the world to see captives set free, to see the depressed find joy in Jesus, to find those that have been hurt by the church and that are floundering and that are, are wounded come and find healing, to see the blind have sight and people have a taste of what it means to be part of a faith family where we follow him together. The Spirit prompts us as if we'll walk with him in step with the Spirit. He does, and within his sovereign will, he helps us to obey his moral will, and then he guides us to his sovereign purposes through his individual will for our lives, through his will of direction. But here's the big picture. Here's where God is moving all of human history and then includes you and me. He is calling people from every tribe and nation and tongue to be made new through the power of Jesus and to be part of his people so that there is a multitude that no one can number who will praise the lamb who was slain for eternity. It is about Jesus displaying his glory through a redeemed people who treasure him above everything else that this world has to offer, who are satisfied in the presence of God. This is where God is moving all of history, and that includes you. Your life has eternal purpose. And so come and sing the song of all the redeemed, we're free. This is what your life is about. This is God's purpose. This is his will. And if we'll walk with him, he will lead us to where we need to be to fulfill his overall sovereign purposes.
Let's keep thinking, though. Third key question as we keep moving in this, this text is, how can your will glorify God? If that is the reason why we exist is to be satisfied in God's glory and then display it, how can your will glorify God? Let's look at one text. I've been looking at kind of big picture here thus far, but let's hone in on one text in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is such a powerful verse. So let let me just... Highlight, he says, that we've been crucified with Christ. So I no longer live. So he's talking about death here. And he says, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live, as we talk about being dead, when he says, now I live this life in Christ by faith because he loved me and gave himself for me. This verse is describing the reality of our human condition of our sinful state, how we've been crucified because of our sin. And maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. Sin is exhausting. And I believe that sin is exhausting because it's it's us striving, working, exhausting ourselves to be more than we were meant to be. This is why it's so exhausting. You see, you and I were never meant to satisfy our own souls. We were never meant to be sovereign or to control our lives or our destiny. God never meant that for us. You were never meant to exhaust yourself by striving to be good or to be holy and to overcome your sinful patterns with just your own willpower, with just white-knuckling it. You were not meant for that. That was never God's design. And this striving is doing so apart from God, apart from the Spirit. And so it is striving alone. And alone leaves us exhausted. Alone leads to quiet desperation. Alone, we can't love or be generous or change. Alone, man, that just leads to enslavement to sin and to Satan. And yet Jesus is standing before you right now. That through the eyes of faith, you can see him and hear his voice. And he's asking you, what do you want? What does your soul desire? What is it that you are chasing and that you want most of all in your life? 
Because our desires are deep inside of us. Desires, for example, for recognition or acceptance or comfort or hope. All of these desires all point to the ultimate and final desire. Ultimately, you and I were made to desire God. We were made to desire Jesus and his spirit. You were never meant to live life alone, separate from his presence, from his spirit. We were even in the Garden of Eden. God was right there. They had his presence. It's our life. We can't do it. We can't live alone. We need God. We need his presence, his spirit. We were not designed to live alone. We're so desperate for him. Our hearts crave God. This text is so powerful. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live. And so he's talking about death. What has died? Well, what has died, what is dead, what was crucified with Jesus is your old self, your old destructive, sinful, self-centered desires that was nailed to the cross. That's not you anymore. That person is dead, gone, buried, crucified with Christ. You bear that shame no more. I've been crucified with Christ, and so I no longer live. This old self is gone. He says, now I live how I, he says, Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so what's alive? A new heart. You've been made new. This union with Christ through his spirit, you have been made new. We don't just read this. We don't just sing this. We breathe this. We, this is our everything. This is the food that fuels our soul. This is who you are. This is your identity. And so you and I were never made to live based upon our own will power we can't we'll fail we live by faith so i cannot and you cannot will yourself to love god you cannot will yourself to spiritual life you can't will your heart to be made new any more than a leopard can't will to change his spots we can't do it. Our very will is in bondage to our sinfulness, to Satan. And so what we need is to be set free and to recognize that your old self has been crucified and now you live by faith and you are free. And it's all about the love and the mercy of Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you. And you're given a new heart with new desires. And so if you want a satisfied will, your soul must be satisfied in the will of God. Whatever that looks like in 
your life. It may not be the path that you had wanted. Your life may not be turning out the way you had hoped. And yet, it is God's sovereign will for your life. And it is good. And it's beautiful. And it points to something eternal that we get to experience right now on this side of heaven. The presence of God. One day we'll be in heaven and, and we won't fight against the old self anymore. But on this side of heaven, we trust our God and he gives us new hearts so that we can freely choose him. This is a miracle that you cannot produce. It's a miracle that God does. Let me read another text to you that shows this. Philippians 2. It brings this into clarity. It really is a cross-reference with Galatians 2. Philippians 2. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. You hear that? It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we're called to obedience here. And in private, it's like, not just when you're in church Sunday morning, not just when Paul is there watching you, but even in my absence, even when it's just you, even when it's private, obey God. And he says, work out your salvation. Now, this is not talking about justification, how Christ has paid the price on the cross. This is talking about sanctification, what we just read earlier. This is God's will for you. Be sanctified. Grow in your faith Grow in your holiness, so work it out. And so there's this active trusting God as you are working empowered by his spirit because it says with fear and trembling, so being in awe of who God is, he says, work out your salvation. Trust God, but he says, as you're working, as you're striving, you're doing it from a place of peace and of rest and of hope. Because God, Christ already died for you. And he says, for it is God who works in you. So your working is fueled, empowered by the spirit of God who is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's the way this works. This text is so important. There it is. There's a point. There's the goal of your life. This right here we just read is a source of joy and purpose and hope. And it's the only way to have your soul satisfied in God. For it is God who works in you. It's his spirit working in you. Doing a miracle. Changing your heart. Giving you a new will that desires the glory of God, wanting to do his will. Those of you that are parents of small children already know this. How often do you give your little ones an instruction and you can just see their defiance in their eyes? Ever been there? They don't want to do it. And even if they're doing it, like they have an angry face and look. I'm like, fix that face. 
Because I can't, I can't see their heart, but their face is showing what's going on in their heart. They don't want to do it. They may be grinning and burying it and out of duty, out of sheer willpower, they're obeying their father's instruction to put their toys away. Like it's such a horrible instruction. And yet they don't want to do it. And we can be no different as adults spiritually where we know God's moral will. We know his will. And yet we find ourselves like, oh, we don't want to. That is slavery. Not wanting to obey where you, I have to serve Jesus. I have to come early for setup on Sunday mornings. I, yes, that you do have to. <laughs> but you know what I would love? That you want to. That would be so much better. It's having hearts that say, Jesus, it's my joy to say yes. I want to. I want to obey you. I want your sovereign will to be manifested. I want to obey your moral will. I want your will of direction in my life. I want all of you and your purposes and your joy. And just like our master praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, saying, not my will, but yours. Not my will. I want your will. That's our purpose for his good pleasure, for our joy, for the joy of the nations. So if you're struggling today with God's sovereign will, if you're just having a hard time saying, Pastor, it's been tough, I don't want to diminish that. We talked about emotions here recently and how, and sometimes it's hard. And so I don't know God's sovereign will for you has looked like, but if it's been hard, I just want to encourage you that he does have a purpose. And he who loves you gave him this up for you, and he's going to work it for good. He's making a man out of you. He's making a godly woman out of you. He is using those circumstances to shape your heart, to trust him more, to be used in his kingdom for your joy and for his glory. And so I encourage you to just rest your soul in God's sovereign will. If you're struggling with God's moral will, as in you're having a hard time with morality, you're having a hard time with obedience, you're struggling with really submitting to what the Bible says is right. And if you're in a sinful pattern, then the way forward, the way to submit to, to obey God's moral will is to remember this. It is God who works in you. It is by walking in the Spirit that we can see strongholds broken. It's walking in the Spirit in community that we can be real with each other and we can find freedom and hope Walk with integrity. You know the word integrity, what it means is being whole. So if you think back to your math days, an integer, what is that? You're like, I don't have any idea what an integer is. An integer is a whole number, no decimal, no, no fraction. It's a whole number. It's an integer. Integrity just means being whole. Your heart, if when your heart is whole, then you will have integrity. 
integrity, and then you will walk in holiness. You need a whole heart. We ask God to heal, to deliver, so that we can walk in integrity. Confessing that and asking God for help. If you're having a hard time with God's individual will, saying, I don't know God's will. I need his direction. I need God's wisdom. Read James. That is an amazing book that it's all about wisdom. James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It promises if you will ask for wisdom, God will grant you wisdom. He will. Trust him. Walk with him. If you know his word, walking in the spirit, then he will lead you. If you're not in the word, you have no hope to know God's will of direction for your life. You walk with him in the word and you will see. So are you struggling today? I don't know. Maybe beneath the shame, the desperation, the dissatisfaction, maybe your frantic lifestyle. Can you hear the voice of God coming and saying, come to me? That's the voice of the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep, who will lead you beside still waters and will love you and satisfy you. Praise Jesus who has conquered our sinful will, changes our hearts so that we have joy in submitting our will to the will of God. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure.